Hey there, this is Lisa Bentley. This is The Greg Bennett Show. Any questions? Welcome to The Greg Bennett Show presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. And this was a very special conversation with a longtime friend and one of the greatest Ironman athletes to ever do the sport, Lisa Bentley. Lisa is just so honest and authentic in this one. Her storytelling is some of the best I think I've ever had on this show. Um, it made me laugh. Uh, it made me realize just how resilient she was as an athlete. And there's just so much in, for all of us in this one that we can take away and be truly inspired by just a, a really great human being and an incredible athlete. Uh, Lisa is now on Any Question. You can go over and ask her questions, uh, post this podcast, uh, follow-up questions. She'd love to answer them there. So you can go to anyquestion.com forward slash Lisa Bentley. Um, and, and she really is somebody that is really fun to talk to. And I think you'll enjoy getting to know her on the Any Question platform as well. A little bit of housekeeping before we go on. I just also want to say thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing. If you are enjoying the show, please uh, give me a review on Apple. The reason I ask for that is basically the way the podcast is then positioned to the world is, is all determined on how many reviews you get. Um, Ideally, if they're five-star, that'd be great. Um, but also, just give me your feedback. On You can go to Instagram or anywhere else and, and give me your feedback. Or go over to anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett. And I'm also happy to answer your questions there and can chat with you on that platform. So go to anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Lisa Bentley is absolutely fantastic. And remember, success comes to those who endure just one moment longer. All right, today I have the honour of speaking with a Canadian Ironman legend, a living inspiration to all aspiring triathletes out there. She's won 11 Ironman championships across the globe, including five Australian, three Canadian, two New Zealand and one German Ironman. And she's also finished in the top 10 at the Kona Ironman World Championships six times with the best placing of third and then back that up with a fourth, a fifth, two sixths and a ninth. And her impressive career also extends to the 70.3 distance where she's won 11 races and claimed a silver at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships. After retiring from her athletic career, she's gone about setting up an amazing coaching business that everybody's got to go check out after this podcast and served as the team captain at the inaugural Collins Cup in 2021. Her love and passion for triathlon is just infectious. And above all, she always has a warm smile. I'm excited to have her on the show today. So without further ado, welcome to The Greg Bennett Show, the one and only Lisa Bentley. How are you, Lisa? <laughs> I'm great. Thank you. It's so great to connect with you. <laughs> and I'm in Claremont where I know we both spent time uh, years and years ago when we were both racing. So it's pretty fun to connect now. I know you just told me that pre-show. <laughs> I'm only a couple, an hour and a half, two hours away. I'm like, why aren't we doing this one in person? I, I For some <laughs> reason, well, you are Canadian. And, and for some reason, I thought you were up in Toronto. And um, I'm kicking myself now. But look, let's do this one as we are remotely, and then let's, let's uh, 
arrange another one post this episode where we do it in person. What do you think? That sounds great to me. <laughs> That's awesome. So you you just spend half your time in Claremont, do you now, or is it? Yes, yeah. We we uh, we could be here full time, but we are here over the winter time, mm. uh, which is a great time to escape Ontario, Canada. <laughs> and uh, I started coming here in two thousand and two as a winter training base, and then when I retired in two thousand and nine, we kept coming. Yeah. <laughs> stop. And so here we are 13 years later, own a house and have our green cards and, uh, and really happy to, to be able to, to still do what we love. We're we're lifestyle people. We like being outside and and swimming and biking and running. So we we keep doing that, but for health and wellness more than performance. Gosh, you, you, you said you retired in 2009. I know. I didn't think it was that long ago. I mean, it really, you were around, I mean, your career, it was like 20 years long. I mean, I, all through the 90s and noughties, we trained a lot together in Victoria, Canada. Um, I was there from 2000 to 2005, I think, and you spent a lot of time out there. You were also coached by Lance Watson, who I was also working with. So we go back away when you think about it. <laughs> We do, that's for sure. And, you know, I, I retired in 2009, but I never made a big deal of it. It was more mm. just I kind of just stepped away from professional sport. But I still was racing uh, for fun. Yeah, I, right. I wanted to race, not triathlon so much as an age group athlete, but I did do my first marathon once I retired from Ironman, which is funny to talk about that. But I uh, did my first marathon once I'd retired. And, and I did actually do a couple of triathlons for charity. Yeah. But that was the, the limit of uh, of. What was that marathon like? What was, how'd you go there? <laughs> it was hard. It was, we actually laughed that I finished the race and I'm stumbling towards my husband, Dave, and he's laughing hysterically. And these women are so upset at him saying, how can you laugh at her? She's just done a marathon. And he said, listen, I've seen her cross finish line at 30 Ironmans. So she's never looked this pathetic before. <laughs> <laughs> it hurts, doesn't it? Doing flat out running races hurts a lot. You know, even if you're doing the 10Ks and other ones, I always found running a straight out running race to be very painful. So painful. I think the only race I ever wanted to quit in my life was a 5K. I just thought (laughs) with 400 meters to go, I thought I cannot turn my legs over another bit. It was so hard. And the marathon was, is a close second to that one. I'm telling you, that was, uh, the marathon is straight up. I'll take an Ironman any day. (laughs) You're making me feel so much better. I, I, I did the, um... Down here in Florida, they have a Christmas 5K mm-hmm. and I suffered like you wouldn't believe about 18 months, oh, two years, two summers ago. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was brutal. <laughs> yeah, the faster and anything short for me, again, I, I, my preference was always the longest things like an Ironman, but short and fast is just not in my my wheelhouse. Even I've, I've taken up rowing on the rowing machine and there's workouts every day on, on, the, on this app and when it's something like a 5,000 time trial or three by 2,000, I'm like, yes. And then the other day it was 20 by 45 seconds. I'm like, oh gosh, that's so hard. 45 <laughs> seconds is so hard. I don't want to do it. And I, but I'm, you know, my philosophy is if it's something you don't want to do, then you better do it uh, and, you know, get out of your comfort zone. It's the stuff you don't want to do. That is what brings the fulfillment. It brings the reward. And so I try to, I've, I've sort of lived 
that over the past 30 years in sport and I continue to live it is if it's something you're saying, oh, I don't really want to do that, you better do it because it's going to bring you the greatest reward. Oh, that's the best. What a quotable <laughs> quote. I love that. It's funny, I was uh, at the gym this morning and I was talking to somebody and they said, oh, Greg, you're going down to do the sauna and ice bath. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I love doing the ice bath because it's something I really, well, I haven't until now really wanted to do. I, I, it really hurts. Mm-hmm. But I actually said, I'm wondering if I'm getting the same benefits now because I actually don't mind it as much. <laughs> like I can kind of hop in. I know I take two or three breaths and I'm fine, right? Like, and so I'm like, am I getting the benefits now if I'm not? If I actually don't mind doing it? I've had this. Ex- right. <laughs> it's our warped. It's our warped brains coming to fruition there. <laughs> and, and you talk about this rowing. Uh, I just started trying to do it. Have you been on the rowing machine a bit? you know, over a while? Yeah. A couple, a couple of years. I, I decided, I mean, a couple, uh, probably about three years ago, I figured out that I really couldn't be running fast anymore. I have a few torn tendons that I'm choosing not to repair. Mm -hmm. They're, they're, you know, 20 years in the making of the, of that tear. So I'm proud of the tear and I don't want to have surgery. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so the compromise uh, was, hey, if I can run 30 minutes every other day with my dog, mm-hmm. then I'm not getting surgery. So that was a compromise. And and I'm I'm very happy to say that I am running, you know, over an hour and I'm pain-free and I'm happy, but I'm not doing speed. Speed no. kills. Yeah, yeah. That's the end of everything. Yeah. So when I stopped doing speed work running, I thought I, I need to take up something else. And of course, as you get older, your strength diminishes, you need to do more strength training. So I thought the rowing machine is is kind of that for me. So I got a rowing machine. And so I do a bit of intervals. I do like the rowing machine intervals. I hop off, I do kettlebell swings, I do weights, I hop back on, I do a bit more rowing. And so it's... Um, it's really almost a replacement of my running, but boy, oh boy, it's hard. And I have to say, if I could only have one machine, it would be the rowing machine because it's all all body and it's hard. It's so hard. And uh, again, like I said, it's the hard stuff that brings you the reward. I know, but it's brutal. I find it, un- I've just started this last couple of months, a uh, month or two. It's brutal on your butt. I get really sore just mm. sitting on the seat. Like, I, Yeah, I, oh. yeah, you need a couple of towels. Oh, is that what you do? Oh, that's a good idea. A couple of towels. Yeah, I could give you a few yeah, things that I've tips. learned over over time. <laughs> and now, you know, I've been traveling a bit over the past two weeks and I, I get into the gym and if there's a rowing machine, I'm as happy as a lark because I'm, I'm happy to get on any machine because yeah. it's just going to be great. Um, like I, I just need that little bit every single day to just be happy. But if I see a rowing machine, I'm like, oh, I know I can get on that for 30 minutes and feel completely oh, fulfilled. That's so, huge. It's so hard. I, yeah. I Trust me, I now that you're talking about this rowing and I've been trying to better my 2K time, you know, <laughs> and I cannot get under seven minutes. I, I, I'm i like, what do you mean? Wow. I, that's that's I don't still think, very, I mean, I can't get under nine minutes, but again, we're two different <laughs> no, bodies. But I think I'm I just mean, very competitive too, but I, it just yeah. really, really hurts. Um, it's so hard. So, yeah. But look, you mentioned um, 30 Ironmans. Is that what you, how many you've done? Well, I've done 33. 33 was my- so you have uh, a winning rate of 33%. That's that's incredible. (laughs) That's absolutely monstrous. And you were on the podium if you weren't winning for a majority of those as well, right? Yeah, it was uh, it was definitely my my wheelhouse. It was wow. it was definitely my sport. I, I and I loved it, and I still love it. And I wish I could have done it forever. To be honest, mm. I really mm. uh, it wasn't a I don't love this anymore retirement. It was yep. you know, it's time to retire. Yep. It's uh, 
I'm not excited to do hill repeats anymore. I'm not excited to put myself in a position to win races anymore. That's I know what work it takes mm, and mm. it was time to move on. But uh, yeah, I, I, I love my career. I loved every single bit of it. 33 Ironmans, winning 11 of them. And what I love about the 11, like I read out in the intro, is they were all over the place. I mean, you had five in a row in Australia Ironmans. Mm-hmm. Uh, was that at Foster, Tenkari, or did they move it to Port Macquarie? Yeah, it was a split. Yeah, a couple oh. in Foster and then Port Macquarie. So I got a sample of both courses and yeah. and love and love, the, love both the experiences. I mean, the truth is I loved Australia. Yeah. So you could put me anywhere and I'd be a happy lady. Yeah. Well, you did a couple of training camps with us in Noosa, right? I did. Yeah. I did. I had a good memory of you and Laura packing bikes to go to the airport. And I was astounded that your flight was in a couple hours. And Laura said, all I need is 45 minutes. And I thought that was incredible. 45 <laughs> minutes to your bike and get to the airport. Like that is a seasoned pro. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we used to, I used to try and, uh, pack my bike in a commercial break if I was watching a movie or whatever, you know, having the TV on and I'd go, I'd have it, have the box open and then go ready now. And because we were, we were packing and unpacking so often when you're racing 20 times around the world, um, you you get pretty efficient at it. Um, but look, uh, let's do this. I know you've listened to the show. You said you, you've listened to quite a few of the episodes, which you really makes me feel special. Um, so thank you for, for listening. But uh, one of my favorite questions, as you know, is, and and things to do is just to rewind the clock and, and get to know, you know, you. Um, and so let's recap your journey. How did you first sort of Mm -hmm. find the sport of triathlon or how did you find sport in general? When did that passion first come about? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm definitely from the old school. I was a runner Mm -hmm. and I ran in high school a bit, mainly just to have friends. You know, it was just a social thing. And then when I went to university, I ran because I was away from home. So again, I wanted to make friends. But as a runner, I got injured and us injured runners, we take up swimming and we take up cycling (laughs) to offset the running that we're missing. And uh, I was at University of Waterloo in, in my particular program, we went to school in the summertime uh, because it was a co-op program. So we worked during the September to April time of year. And so I was doing uh, school in the summertime and I met some friends and they said, hey, you got to do a triathlon. And I said, OK. So off we went and we did a triathlon and we basically built our summer school season mm-hmm. <laughs> around mm-hmm. doing triathlons and had a blast. And it was just social and fun. And that's when I started doing triathlon. And but I always in the back of my head, even though I was racing as an amateur, I would compare myself to the people that were winning the races. Not that I thought I could win, but I was, you know, I might have been fourth in my age group, but I was 11th overall. So yeah. I kept looking at it like yeah. that. And then eventually I thought, you know, I really just want to race overall. I want to be in the overall category. And back then that would, I started it in uh, 1989 doing mm. triathlon. Uh, back then you didn't have to do anything in particular to get a pro card. You didn't have to be within 10% of the winner or anything like that. You just said, I want to race pro. Mm. And so I just started to race as a professional and race nationally. And I was doing the Olympic distance short course. And that was again before draft legal racing. Mm -hmm. So I had, you know, great fortune of being on our national team and racing at world championships uh, and went to the Pan American Games in 95. Uh, And then the sport became a draft legal. And that was a challenge for me because I wasn't a swimmer. I had improved my swimming, but it was, you know, early, early triathlon days. If you I might have swam 25 minutes for 1500 and then I improved to 21 minutes for 1500, which at that time or early on was pretty good. But then we got the swimmer swimmers, 
the real people mm. that were swimming 17 minutes. Now I was like, whoa. And now it was draft legal. And, and so now I went from being on the Pan Am Games team and world championship teams to now not making the cut with draft legal. Mm. And I thought, well, I think it's time now to go to Ironman. I love the idea of training all day. How exciting to get to do it <laughs> um, and, and be racing. So uh, my first long distance race was in Japan, Strongman Japan, which was a blast. And I, I loved every mm. minute of it. I was mm. scared out of my mind. The stories I heard from the veterans, oh, Lisa, it'll all feel good till about 30 kilometers in the run. And then you'll want to go to sleep under an aid station table. And I thought, wow, this is going to be really hard. And my first race, I just, I think I was so afraid that I, I scared myself to the finish line and, and had a great race. And, and I thought there's no turning back now. This is so much fun. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, and then went from there, did my first real Ironman, which was Ironman Canada in 1997. And, yeah, just really wanted to wanted to win one. I mean, back then, I don't know if it's the same now, but the people that won Ironman, they were your heroes. They were well. There was only about like three them. or four Ironmans around. That's the other thing, right? I mean, you had mm. Australia, you had Canada, you had Germany, and you had Kona. Mm -hmm. There really wasn't mm -hmm. a New Zealand. It really, what did mm -hmm. I say? New Zealand, Australia, Canada, Germany, yes. Kona. So that was kind of five, mm -hmm. right? Yes, yes, yeah. There weren't many. No. So yeah, I really wanted to to make my mark as an Ironman athlete. I, again, just love that idea of not having to go all out. Although I was kind of going all out because yeah. it, uh, it's, again, I'm not a fast twitch athlete. So, uh, and gradually uh, able, was able to win my first Ironman in the year 2000. I think it was after one of our, it was for sure, actually, after one of our Australia training camps where you would have been at that. So it was the year 2000, we were on the Gold Coast. And I remember basically crying the whole way there on the airplane because I was missing home and I was extremely homesick. I'd never done anything like that before, like mm. leave home go to Australia, train for six weeks, basically. I The year prior, I had raced Ironman New Zealand in March. So again, coming off a Canadian winter. And I had a great race. I came in third. But I remember coming out of that race saying, if I really want to put myself in a position to win, I can't be in Canada over the winter. Mm. The, the, I rode, rode my bike as hard as I could in that race, but I just didn't have that extra gear mm. that I would have got from climbing hills and being outside. And so the next year we all went to Australia and you were part of that training group. And I remember when I left Australia, our training camp, and then went to New Zealand to race, I remember having a conversation saying, like, this is what people who win must do. Like, there's no reason for me not to be in a position. I mean, not, you know, race day, you don't know what's going to happen. But I mean, I've been running intervals with the best athletes in my mind in the world. You mm -hmm. know, it was you, Simon Whitfield, who hadn't won the gold medal yet. Mm -hmm. And we were just all, we were all like almost new when no one had broken through yet. We were all just like chomping at the bit and we did all our intervals together and we were all just really bringing out the best in each other. And I thought this is, I had never done anything like that in my entire life. Six weeks of being in an environment with great athletes and friends. And I thought, wow, like, first of all, no matter what happens at Ironman New Zealand, uh, I've had a great journey and that's, that's part of it. And that's what we, the message has to be to everyone is just have a great, great journey because race day is only one day. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got on that start line. I said, no regrets. I've had a blast being in Australia. I've learned so much. I've been around great, outstanding people. No matter what happens, this is a win. 
and and then I got in the race and and I ended up having you know winning my first Ironman, which was that's awesome. pretty darn special, really. Yeah, that's so fantastic. And and those early wins, it's amazing the impact that that then has for your motivation to keep doing mm-hmm. it, right? And, and I love that you you talk about really embracing the process and the journey. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't say that enough. I think we all get caught up, especially competitive mindsets and futurists. We all kind of love to look at the destination and often skip just embracing the journey, the people around you and the process. Um, and what what an exceptional feeling that must have been. I want to just go back one, one bit. You mentioned uh, the strongman Japan. What distances mm-hmm. was that race? And did you, how'd you go there? You had a good race there, you said. Did you win that? Yeah, I did win. Yeah. Um, it was um, a 3K swim, 150K bike, and a marathon. Oh. And I was really undertrained. Uh, my coach at the time didn't realize it was a marathon. And so I be- yeah. <laughs> and so I believe my longest bike ride going in was three hours and my longest run was two hours. Wow. And and I had never raced further than a half Ironman before. Yeah. And so I was coming from Olympic distance, which actually was good because my only gauge for how to race the strongman Japan was go one gear easier than you would in Olympic distance. Like there was no wattage meters. There was, I don't even know if I had a heart rate monitor, to be honest. I just thought, okay, this is a lot longer than I've ever done. So it better not feel impossible. So I got on, you know, I finished the swim and got onto the bike and I had a bit of a mechanical issue on the bike. And yeah, I, I think I repaired my, my arrow bars with a piece of power bar. I it was going to fall off and I didn't have an Allen key and I thought, what am I going to do? And so I grabbed a power bar. I had a, an emergency power bar in case I bonked. So I brought like the plan A, plan B, plan C. So I brought extra. And so I took my emergency power bar and I basically put it around my arrow bar to hold it on because no it was way. falling off. That's hilarious. And then, <laughs> And then got on the marathon and I, you know, again, like someone told me, they said, you're, you're going to die at 30 K. This is just the reality of a marathon. I'm like, Mm, okay. mm. So I basically just kept running going, okay, well, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. And then I got to 30 K. I'm like, okay, I'm still going, I'm still going. And, um, so yes, I, I ended up winning that race, which was a massive highlight for me Yeah. because there was zero expectation to win that race. Mm. And I think my only goal in that race was I had seen a picture of someone with this beautiful wreath of flowers on their head at the finish line. And I thought if I could get that wreath of flowers, that would be so amazing. And so I got the wreath of flowers and, and I said, Oh, that was my goal to get this wreath. And they said, Oh, everyone gets one. I'm like, Oh, (laughs) (laughs) but it was, it was amazing. Uh, I got a great taste of Japan, which is what my coach, his goal was. He said, you're never going to get to Japan if you don't get there through sports. So go to Japan, get the experience, uh, meet the kids, do the origami and go do a, a triathlon. So that was the first time. And, and so then with those, you know, performances, winning your first Ironman, winning the Strongman, I mean, under that, were you now racing professionally? Were you working on the side or had you committed and gone all in? I was still uh, early on, 1997, still on the fence. I was still working full time. And in 1999, I finally stepped away from teaching. I was a math and computer science teacher. So I stepped away from from teaching in 1999 to do sport full time. And uh, yeah, so I hadn't yet won my first Ironman. So that was when I Was that I scary though? Thing. I mean, stepping away yeah. from it. Yeah, you know. <laughs> it was really scary. Yeah. And I remember early on, I... 
still, I actually took up tutoring because in my brain, how could I put money on the table to get massage and physio if I had no money coming in? You know, essentially, I I mean, of course I could win prize money, but I didn't, wasn't making salaries from my sponsors enough to quit teaching. So I I was uh, tutoring. So I try to make between 200 and $300 a week tutoring. And then I could feel good about putting 200 to $300 yeah. out for the body maintenance. But I, I just chose races very selectively, you know, there had to be the races where I'd make money. Yeah, it's a business. Uh, yeah, it was a business. Yeah. And then, but Hawaii was never that race. Hawaii, you did that race for your career. Mm-hmm. You may or may not make money, but chances are you were going to it was going to cost you to go there, but it was really an important part of, if you were going to call yourself a professional athlete, you needed to be on that start line at the Hawaii Ironman and in try to improve year by year. And so I made that commitment for sure. But otherwise I did try to choose races where I thought, okay, can I can at least break even financially and hopefully move the needle on my career a little bit as well. Mm. So so take, take me through, if I ask you, you know, what have been some of, when you look back at your career, you mentioned Strongman, you, you mentioned winning your first Ironman in Ironman New Zealand, you know, your career highlights. When you look back, um, obviously there's a longevity component, which is, you know, for an Ironman athlete is, is brilliant. There's a consistency component. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but <laughs> what, what are some of the highlights that you, you would reflect on? professionally and performance wise, definitely a highlight to win Ironman Australia five times in a row. Mm. Uh, that was on different courses, on right? different yeah. courses. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, it was never the goal. I mean, I really, really have to say that I, I was a process oriented athlete. So it wasn't, I'm going to that race and I'm going to win. Uh, of course, I was always going to go to a race in a position to win. I did the work so that on any given day I could be in the mix. And that was always the goal. But if I didn't win, it wasn't the end of the world. There was, I was, there was going to be a, a lesson mm-hmm. in it. There was mm-hmm. going to be a takeaway. There was no question. And so to be able to win five Ironman Australias in a row, when I look back on hindsight, I'm, I'm really proud of that. And and I, and I loved it too. It wasn't, I mean, I loved going to Australia. It was always a great journey for me. There was a lot of growth and development. I made a lot of friends there. It, it became my family. So not only did I get to move the needle professionally on my career, but I also personally had a lot of self-growth at those races and have a ton of memories from it. So that at Ironman Australia, for sure, um, major highlight to win Ironman Germany in yeah. Frankfurt Yeah, yeah. Uh, because it's European. And I don't, I think when I won a North American hadn't, hadn't won there before. So that was a massive highlight. It's hard to win on German soil, to be completely honest. What year did you win uh, in, in Germany? Uh, 2005. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. I think that was around the time... Was that Chris McCormack and Lothar Leder starting to race? Oh, that was in, was that Roth? Which one? Germany. There was oh, Frankfurt. They might Ger- have been in Roth. Yeah. Did you race but Roth? I did race Roth. I raced Roth back when it was Ironman Germany. That's right. So when yeah. it, or Ironman Europe, I raced it in two, maybe 2000, 2001, mm. just before it changed hands. And that was an amazing race. That yeah. was, and that's when I really learned it was hard to race those Germans. They were so good on their courses and, uh, Roth is, is an exceptional race. It still is an exceptional race. And that's, what's incredible is I raced it as an Ironman as, as an Ironman branded race. Mm. And then I went back as a coach when it became a challenge race 
And it still has all of the amazingness that it had back when I raced. And it's such a fun race to spectate and to coach at because now I could ride all the trails and get to all the different checkpoints in the race and cheer for athletes. And yeah, it's an, it's, that is an amazing event for sure. You're winning, you know, Australia and then Canada or, you know, Australia and Germany in the same year. Um, And then turning up to Kona and still top five, you know, and performing well at the the end of the year championship race. How does your third place at Kona Ironman World Championships in 2006 measure up? That was quite a highlight as well. Uh, It was, it's funny, I I do talk about that race quite a bit when I speak to different companies and things, because that was a race where I was pretty close to quitting. And I got, it was out of my comfort zone. It was, it was a challenging day. I had, was having an amazing race. I had a great swim. I had a great bike ride. I was competitive. And and these are, we're talking minutes here. You know, I got out of the swim, say two minutes down from some key players. McKaylee Jones was out of the water about eight minutes ahead of me in that race. She ended up winning ironically, eight minutes ahead, something like that. So it was all swim. Mm. But anyway, so McKaylee Jones, who, you know, in my opinion, is one of the greatest triathletes of all time. 100%. She, she, uh, she's leading the race and I get out of swim wherever I get out. But I'm basically two minutes behind some of the key players that I can compete with. And I made up that time on the bike. Now we're just talking two minutes over 180K, but I was over the moon that I was making up this time on them on the bike. So I had a really good ride and got off the bike in 15th place. And that's where everybody kind of goes, you're telling me you had the race of your life and you got off in 15th place. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I was in, I was in the hunt, you know, I was a, I was a runner. It was okay. And, Mm -hmm. and then I got my way into sixth place by halfway. And then I got in my way, got my way to third place coming out of the energy lab. Wow. And then I wanted to quit and it was so hard. I was coming out of the energy lab. It's a slight uphill. There's a tailwind. It felt like Mount Everest. It felt like a hundred degrees. I was bonking out of energy. And I basically had this conversation with myself saying, you know, Lisa, you've had a great race so far. I think you can be done now. I think that this is fine. You can come back next year, pick it up where you left off. And I'm convincing myself it's okay to quit because it got hard. And I literally, I, I'm, I'm in third place and I'm telling you, second place is a hair ahead of me, like a, a, less than a meter, second place. And then fourth place is less than a meter behind me. We are second, third and fourth in a, bun- a bundle. Yeah. And McKaylee Jones is up the road about seven minutes and with 11K to go. I mean, this, this is still yeah. a race. Yeah. McKaylee hasn't won yet. And I literally walked off the course and went into the portaloo. And I tease that if someone had delivered me the Wall Street Journal, I'd never left. I was like so happy because I had escaped. And this is what we're all faced with in life is when it gets risky, when it gets hard, we all want to quit. And the reality is, of course we do. Nobody wants to run the last 10K of a marathon. Nobody wants to get out of bed at five in the morning. It's, But it's the stuff you don't want to do that you have to do because that's the stuff that makes you better. And, you know, in, in the 30 seconds I was in the portaloo realizing, A, you're bonking, you need energy immediately. I'm also realizing, Lisa, you've got 45 minutes of running or 45 days of regret. 
Mm. So, at least 45 days of regret. <laughs> it's like, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, what yeah. are we now? 18 years later, I'm still talking <laughs> about it. So I guess we can t- say 45 years. Yeah. So I got out and I, you know, now I'm in fourth place. Luckily, fourth place, because let's face it, behind me was Natasha Badman yeah. and Kate Allen, you know, gold wow. medalist and world champion. Luckily, they hadn't passed me. But so now I was in fourth and then ran as hard as I could to the finish line and got third. But that third place, I mean, that was it was third place or quit mm. which is incredible the fine line between the performance of your life at the world championships which i guess essentially it was and not even finishing and we, we all ride that line so it's uh yeah it was definitely a career highlight to come in third yeah uh, well not just a career <laughs> highlight like you said earlier it's like that personal kind of highlight right it's like mm-hmm. that that third is when you come back from despair and, and you're going to step off the course to actually find it in yourself to get back on the race course and keep racing all the way to the finishing line. There's so much joy in that, right? Mm-hmm. It feels so yes. good to suddenly be like, I did it. It's not about, I don't care about the win. Like the amount of times I've had guests on here and even my own career and you, you kind of go, everybody wants to talk about the wins, mm-hmm. but it's actually the, some of these other places and these other performances that stand out the most to me, right? A hundred percent. It's the days where you, you really have to dig in. And we always talk about the adversity days, which uh, bring us the most fulfillment and success. And, and what was really neat on that day is Desiree Ficker came in second and we were all part of a team called Tried Dubai. Mm-hmm. And we had had a training camp six weeks prior to the Ironman and we all shared our knowledge we shared and, and Desiree was a rookie. She had never raced there before and we're all telling her nutrition and pacing, et cetera. And then she beat all of us. And there's a, there's a, a teamwork element there. And we can always talk about triathlon as being a very me, me, me sport, but all of us are in a position, whatever we're doing, whether it's triathlon or swimming or business corporations, et cetera, is, is the teamwork element. And, and we want to be great, but we have to share that greatness with others. So I, I was so happy to come in third, but I was really happy that my teammate came in second. And, uh, and that's always an important part of, of our careers and our lives as well. Yeah. No, I, I love that. Desiree was a rookie. I remember that actually. <laughs> yeah, that takes me back. So so there's some of the highlights. I mean, so many, we could keep, we could do the whole show about highlights, but <laughs> you know, what have, what have been some of the, the low times and what have you learned from those lessons? I mean, that was a great lesson you learned from one of your highlights, but <laughs> what are some of the lows that you've had and, and the lessons you've learned? Well, I think in every low there is a high and I, I suppose that's, Mm. That's the only way I've been able to get out of bed every single day. So, you know, the one year in Hawaii, I did not finish. I, I can't, there's only two times I didn't finish an Ironman. And one was I had a torn labrum in my hip and I couldn't run. And then the other time was when I had my burst appendix. And so my appendix, I had been in a bit of pain two weeks before the race. We didn't know what it was. And uh, a couple of days before the Ironman, I went to see a doctor and they said, well, we're pretty sure that you have appendicitis. And I said, well, I have an Ironman. I have the world championships in 36 hours. Can I race? And they're like, are you kidding? Like, you're not going to do very well. And I'm like, yes, I will. I've got the power of the mind. And they said, well, you can go race, but you have to come to the hospital the next day because we're pretty sure that you, you've got something wrong. So I got into the race. I was not able to finish. And I 
then, you know, I didn't, didn't know, know really what was wrong. I just, you know, my side was quite sore. The gels weren't tasting right. Normally I would start the marathon and have to pull myself back from running too fast. But this time I'm looking at my watch going, wow, I should be going faster, which doesn't happen when you start the marathon in Hawaii, when mm -hmm. there's everyone screaming for you. So I knew my body was off and I got to about 10 miles of the marathon. And then my husband, who was just my fiance at the time, he could see that I was in distress and he basically made the decision. I'm not letting you run out on the queen K and he touched me and that disqualified me. So there were some tears there. <laughs> and, he and touched then, you? So so you didn't want to get off the course. He had to actually yeah. reach out and touch you and disqualify yeah. you? He disqualified me. Wow. And, okay. Yeah. I, I want to know yeah. how that yeah. was back in. <laughs> back in it was okay. Yeah. yeah. There were some tears and yeah. then yeah. that was the end of it. And, yeah. and I was like, okay, everything happens for a reason. See, that was my brain is everything mm. happens for a reason. And we were getting married actually three days later on the Wednesday. So it's Saturday. And so, you know, I had my 60 second cry and then I was like, well, I'm going to still get to get married on Wednesday. So this is the way it is. And I'm going to go to the doctor tomorrow and figure out what's wrong. So I went to the hospital the next day. They did a CAT scan. They said, your appendix has already burst. Oh, <laughs> and, uh, but it had walled itself off. So no one will panic. It wasn't, um, it was perforated. And so I went in for emergency surgery right away and had my appendix out. And the first thing I'm saying to the surgeon is, I'm getting married on Wednesday. I think I'll be out of here by then. <laughs> and he's sort of giving me the timeline and, you know, it'll be 48 hours, et cetera. And I'm like, does that count as today? And I'm negotiating basically <laughs> right to the moment that the, uh, you know, anesthesiologist is coming in. Uh, they take care of the appendix, but I had to stay in the hospital for four days to drain oh, all, no. the, all of it. Yeah. So the wedding got canceled oh. on the Wednesday, but then I got out Thursday and we had people that had come for the wedding and they were leaving. They were some friends from New Zealand and et cetera. So Dave said, do you think you can get married Friday? <laughs> so I got out of the hospital Thursday. He said, can you get married Friday? And I thought, well, as long as my dress looks okay and I don't look like I just had an appendix out. And oh. so we got married on the Friday. So it was a low light to not get to finish the world championships, but it was a highlight because I got to get married. And, and you know, those setbacks always make you just hungrier for the next year. What a brilliant and story. I'm kind of mouth <laughs> open here. <laughs> it's so typical of the world we live in and the athletes that are doing the world of triathlon. I, I'm talking age group professionals. I feel like we all live in this striving for more, trying to get more out of life. And I, <laughs> I love how you said you negotiating with the doctor <laughs> when I can get out. I got to, next on my list is a wedding. Let's go. And it's my wedding. You know, what can we do? And uh, I love, so you got married on the Friday. You made it happen. Yes, we got married on the Friday oh my and yeah, happily ever after. But, you know, I often think that, you know, even the way that happened, it wasn't perfect. We, yeah. we didn't get, first of all, I didn't finish the world championships, which was a massive goal. Yeah. Uh, but that was okay yeah. because yeah. it was the way life was meant to happen. I am still alive, which was great. And I didn't get to get married on Wednesday, but, got, but I got married on Friday mm. and like, I think that we have to get tested like that sometimes to to make sure it's re really what we want. So sometimes even, you know, you get into stages in your life where you think, oh, life would be better X, Y, Z. And then I go back to, gosh, we went over such a massive hurdle of 
getting married. Like we really fought to get married. It was yeah. supposed to be Wednesday. We yeah. moved it to Friday, yeah. you know, and Dave's this, patience with me and yeah, like this is what you wanted. And so like, there's always going to be bumps in the road, but you just get it done. But, but then you look, you know, that was 2005 and then 2006, you bounce back and get second at the Ironman 70.3 World Championships and third at the Ironman World Championships. <laughs> I mean, talk about, you know, happy marriage and then, then <laughs> amazing turnaround for your career. That was a pretty exceptional 2006. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. And ironically, the Ironman World Championships that day uh, of 2006 was on our an- anniversary day, as it turned out. And... I would always come up with a theme for my race. I'm not sure if this was something that Lance had us do because we were part of the same camp, you and I, so maybe you can remember it. But I would always come up with a theme for my race that had nothing to do with intensity. It had nothing to do with effort. It had to do with just the allowing me to focus on the process of the day. And so for that particular year, 2006 World Championships, because it was my anniversary, my theme was love. I was going to love everything. Mm. I was going to love my competitors, love the wind, love the heat, love every element. And anytime I got discouraged, I had to switch around to love. And and that's all I remember of that day. So I was just going to, I remember, um, you know, the the wind was always a scary thing in Hawaii. And so when the wind gust would hit me, I thought, oh, you're just playing in the waves. Like, just love it. Just love it. And if you can love it, then you're going to be 10 seconds faster than your competitor who might be afraid or be discouraged, et cetera. So uh, I, took the, I took our wedding to the next step and made it part of my race. You, you know what's funny? You talk about love. I've had several, uh, actually the standout people I've had and, and we've discussed love and hate, um, mm-hmm. Mark Allen, he came on, you know, probably the greatest all-time male athlete, or you can throw Jan Fidino, but anyway, mm. that's a great discussion for another time. <laughs> um, and, and he talked about love being just so powerful. And then I had Chris McCormack coming on, yeah, I raced, I was fired up with hate and anger. Mm. And and then I had a conversation with Javier Gomez, and I can't remember if it was on the podcast or offline, we were talking about love and hate. And we both decided that hate is a very, very powerful tool but for short term, that mm-hmm. whereas love can sustain you for long periods of time and mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a greater fuel for whereas hate is more glimpsing. But I, but I love the fact that you, that was your theme um, because it is powerful and it's almost like using the words like gratefulness and thankfulness and, you know, and loving. It's amazing how you can just turn bad situations around. When, when you're in the portal at 10, 11 Ks to go, what, what were you saying to yourself at that point? I'm loving being in here is what I said. <laughs> Can someone give but me a I'm, Wall Street yeah. Journal, please? <laughs> yeah, that's right. But I was going to love even more yeah. if, I could, uh, if I could turn it around and, yeah. and, and that's ultimately what it was. But it's interesting because I did a TED Talk about uh, five or six years ago and my theme was uh, that – peak performance is a combination of being competitive and compassionate, that it's not enough to just be competitive, to get out, you know, know, of course, you've got to focus, you've got to shut out distractions, you've got to be competitive, but you have to be compassionate. You really have to love what you do Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. love your colleagues or your competitors Mm -hmm. and love yourself. And if Mm -hmm. you don't, then, you know, like you said, it'll be short lived, if at all. And, but if you want the longevity of it, you really have to love what you do and, you know, 
clearly you're that person as well because you're still in triathlon right now, mm-hmm. re- you know, as a podcast host. Mm-hmm. So loving what you do is is really the key to everything. Yeah. I love keeping my foot in the door. I mean, t- tell me, you know, you, you've done the same. You, you've got a coaching business now. You know, it was fun to catch up with you in 2021 when we were both in um, Slovakia for the Collins Cup. And it was great to catch up with you. So you're still very much involved in the sport. Tell me what was the transition like from, you know, being a professional athlete to starting the coaching business. Was that difficult for you? I know you said earlier you were able to leave on on your own terms, but what was that process like? It it was easier than I thought it would be because I sort of was laying down the groundwork probably for about four or five years prior to stepping away from professional sport. So I was already doing a bit of coaching, not a lot because I had to balance that with uh, training full time, but I was doing a little bit of coaching. I was doing some television commentary for CBC CBC Sports, which is our national network for sports. Uh, And I was involved with uh, different events, helping them with sponsorship. I was doing my own sponsorship. So I, I was doing a lot of things. I was doing some speaking as well. Uh, so I was doing that prior to 2009. So when I retired, I really just did them a bit more. So I, I took on some more athletes as a coach. Mm. I did more speaking. I did more television commentary and then just uh, allowed myself to be open to other opportunities. I, I started to do sponsorship work for Ironman, the corporation. I was doing sponsorship work for the triathlons in Canada and continue to do that and, and grow my career in that. I started to do sponsorship for some professional athletes. Uh, okay. I was still doing some running and, you know, continued to build my speaking. Then I wrote my book mm. and then, um, you know, kept, you know, kept doing speaking and did the Olympic commentary. So just kind of kept my hand in it. Collins cup came up, got involved with the PTO. So now I'm still involved with the PTO on the athlete board and still coaching, still speaking and, and little opportunities just come up here and there to do things, which which I love and keeps me involved in the sport, a sport that I really love as well. I love that. I mean, that's it. I mean, I think you transitioned really well because you still were embracing and enjoying the sport. And and it's almost like you've, you've dipped your toes in every aspect of the sport now, right? <laughs> I think, and I think yes, that's, yes. that's great, isn't it? Just to see the other mm-hmm. side of it all. Let, let's talk about triathlon. We've both been in it since the 80s. You know, how, how do you see that it's changed? What have been some of the, the big things that you've seen change, whether we're talking events, equipment, or the people, the athletes themselves? What do you think's been some of the big changes we've seen over the last sort of 30, 40 years? Wow, it's, it has really evolved. Mm. Uh, the athletes certainly are far, far faster. <laughs> they are, they've grown up with the sport. I started the sport as an injured athlete, injured runner. Now you're getting people that start as triathletes. They swim, they bike, they run in their, in their youth. And then they build on that and they just keep going and keep getting faster. And it's, it's wonderful to see, of course, the technology's changed. We've seen that athletes now have the access to equipment and gear that will allow them to use their speed it's not going to make, I guess it does kind of make them faster, but they have to be fast, first of all, to even to be able to get the advantage. So it's wonderful to see that an explosion of events. <clears throat> Literally, oh, we ridiculous. have events around the world. <laughs> Any minute mm-hmm. there's an event. I mean, in the old days, you know, you're from Australia, so it's slightly different. But in, in Canada, yeah. really, the people that did triathlon were the 
skiers, people over the winter that would ski and in the summer they rode a bike and then the natural progression was to do triathlon. But no one no one really trained for triathlon year round. That just wasn't part of the makeup back there in the very late 80s and the early 90s. Triathlon was very much a secondary sport, whereas now you you can literally race 11 or 12 months a year, mm. which is good and bad. I mean, it's very important to have have your downtime as well. So that has to be almost a parameter that's built in. But it's wonderful to see so many events and be able to see the explosion of the sport for amateur athletes to be able to race anywhere in the world and make it part of their holidays. Uh, they get to see another part of the world and do something that they love. They get to do a race, which is wonderful. Uh, it's fantastic to see the development of the PTO, which uh, is really striving to make triathlon a household name, to make heroes and stars mm. of our athletes, which wasn't around uh, 10, 20 years ago. We were just, it, you know, we did it because we loved it. That's that's all. We were never going to be on a baseball card. <laughs> so it's wonderful to see the athletes uh becoming heroes and becoming household names, which mm. is wonderful. So I, I look forward to seeing uh, the PTO continue to grow over the next few years and grow our sport, uh, which ultimately will help everyone. It me it'll mean that amateurs will see these these heroes, these triathletes, and they will also do triathlon, and that then just helps all the other brands, uh, Challenge, Clash, Ironman, have more participants. So it's it's really just one great big triathlon family. It's swim, bike, run. So it's been wonderful to see the the growth the growth of our sport, and I hope that we can continue to see it. Yeah, that's really well said, and I couldn't agree more. I think the more that we can get these th things like the PTO just pushing the brand of triathlon out to the world. You know, I, they've done such a great job when you think mm -hmm. about, you know, they've had some great investments, you know, originally from Sir Michael Moritz and I think he's even come around for, the, for this Series B that they just went through and another, you know, they've done very well in terms of investments just this past few months again, um, which means it's working. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's like there's still a long way to go. I don't think anybody's rubbing their hands going, yeah, we did it. It's like, no, <laughs> this, is a, this is a process, right? And, and doing these events around the world, I'm always excited to see what are the new events. It, 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 I'm actually really bummed that I'm not commentating. You know, <laughs> I, I was meant to do it, but then I just I just couldn't travel as much I as I wanted, not with little kids. But a part of me is like, oh, I just want to be a part of it, you know, what they're doing. Um, and to your point, it helps everybody from World Triathlon to the Super League, Clash and, you know, Ironman and, and Challenge and everybody else. I, I think the more that the sports name can get out there, the better. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It, it's swim, bike, run. I mean, you and I have both been through the development of the sport with um, mm. World Triathlon and, mm. uh, you know, you, you were around with the first Olympics and there were growing pains back then. They, we had to go from lawn drafting to drafting and the Olympic distance, the standard distance became the distance. Now we're seeing the emergence of the relay, the mixed relay. Uh, we're seeing a focus on sprint triathlon. That was never around back you know, 15 years ago, the sprint triathlon is being part of the world triathlon series. So now that's emerging and it's just going to continue to grow. And, uh, but I always said back then, I'm, I'm sure you said similar things. 
it's all swim, bike, run. It's all triathlon. We're all one great big family. And when we just all, all, all organizations just really have to work together mm. uh, for the betterment of our sport and recognize that we're going to make mistakes. There's going to be two steps forward, one step back, but that's what progress is all about. What I want to do now is shift over to a little segment I'm going to call opinions. <laughs> uh, I've got three areas that we can have opinions about. And, and what's great about this is there's no right or wrong. So you can say whatever you want. But the first one, um, greatest triathlete of all time, both a man and a woman. Who do you think? Michaela Jones for women. Mm -hmm. And the reasoning is that she was around and winning when it was Mm non-drafting. And then she evolved into draft legal and kept on winning, Mm -hmm. went to the Olympics, you know, on the podium at the Olympics. And then went to Ironman and won there and then won the world championships in Ironman, Mm -hmm. then moved on and did the Paralympics and was a guide for, and I believe won the world championships or was it even the Olympics? It could have been, but she's basically done everything in our sport, which is phenomenal to to really, to be able to evolve. I mean, I didn't evolve. I was doing non-drafting and making national teams, but I didn't go to the Olympics because I couldn't do draft legal. So already, you know, I fall out of that conversation, you know, like someone that can adapt from non-drafting to drafting Olympics, Ironman. Wow. Like that's phenomenal. Nice summary. That was excellent. (laughs) And I, and I agree. That's a a, a fantastic compliment to give McKeeley who I have asked to be on this show, by the way, and I will reach out to her again. Um, but I haven't had McKeeley on and I'd love to catch up with her. So I will reach out to her, but, but all right now, now for a male. A male. I mean, it's hard not to say Jan Ferdino with again, uh, Olympic distance world champion, uh, Olympic champion, then moves on to Ironman and wins the world championships uh, in Hawaii multiple times. And then I think I just have to take that one step further to what he does as a human being uh, during the pandemic when he did an indoor triathlon raising mm-hmm. money for uh, the medical teams in in his home area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he raised, I believe, over $200,000 to give back to the first responders. So you you know, being the best in his sport across Olympics, across Olympic distance, across Ironman, half Ironman, and then to take it one step further and use that for good uh, is phenomenal. And he's not done yet. Mm. And he's had setbacks too. He's, he's had setbacks setbacks and come back. Numerous setbacks. Everyone keeps writing him off. He just keeps coming back. Yes. Yeah. And the, and the comeback is, is, is not easy when you yeah, are the yeah. world's best and everyone has a target on you take a year off to mm. get healthy and you come back and win like the sport doesn't wait around for you <laughs> and he comes back no. and wins so phenomenal and i and it, you know it's hard not to be talking about uh, christian blumenfeld in this conversation but christian is still really a rookie in a sense he jan fredino has been around for a lot of years and i mean just i can almost picture to my head the sprint finish uh, at the Olympics is that was you know, amazing, out of wasn't nowhere. It? Oh, eight know? Beijing Olympics. Whit- Whitfield went too early, and then uh, <laughs> he's like, he caught back <sighs> up and then went. And he's, I'm like, dude, no. But anyway, that was one of the most outstanding finishes of our sport. And and I think Jan, if he's not the greatest of all time, he's very much. It's very hard to not debate. Like it's between him and mm. one, possibly two others. Um, mm. I would agree. All right, here's another one for you then. Greatest athlete of all time from all sports, 
Mm. This wow. is a great, by the way, if you're ever at a dinner time conversation or you're struggling with conversation, <laughs> throw this one in the middle of the table. It's always fun. Um, a male and a female. Got wow. anyone in mind? If you haven't, don't worry, but I'm throwing it out there anyway. You know who comes to my mind, as I should just say it, it would be Bruce Jenner. I mean, it was pretty phenomenal what he did in decathlon. Mm. And uh, yeah, I, he, Bruce Jenner was just one of the greatest athletes ever. And I mean, I guess now if we look at it in hindsight, probably conflicted at the same time in mm. his own, you know, in his own mind. Mm. Uh, and now, um, not a, he, you, yes. So I'll leave it Kate, at that without Caitlin getting now. into yes. getting yeah. <laughs> further of how his life, how the life has evolved. But yeah, that's, that's who I'm picturing in my head yeah. as being one of the greatest of all time. Interesting. I like that answer. Mm-hmm. It's not one that I would have thought of, but any of these decathletes that are doing incredible, they really are phenomenal athletes. All right, next one. Um, big debate going on right now with Ironman, Kona and Nice splitting it up. What are your thoughts? Mm, yeah, it's that's a tough one. I I don't have the financials in front of me, nor the business plan, nor the people, the investors that I have to answer to. So I'm. This is just the the at heart. I. I like the world championships in one location, men and women, uh, ideally in Hawaii. I, but I'm not adverse to it rotating by any stretch around the world, but that's, that's a sort of a different branch topic, but I see our sport as co-ed. I don't see it as a men's race and a women's race. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I like the men and the women racing together. Yeah. Now, and I've raced as a professional woman and I have raced back in the good old days when it was a mass start and I had lots of age group men around me and then it evolved into a women's start and a men's start. So I, I've, I've raced under all the conditions and it, yes, it was absolutely wonderful to see the pro women have their own race, but I don't think it's an, I don't think it has to be um, all or nothing. So I, given what happened in Kona this year that we had the two days, the two days didn't work out. I would have leaned towards having one race day with men and women combined. Uh, I like seeing men and women race together. When I watched the men's only race on the Saturday in Hawaii, it was just men running up Polani Hill. It was kind of a bit boring. Mm. <laughs> it was kind of boring not to see the women's colorful uniforms, to see some of their smiles coming up the field, a, a little bit less hardcore in, in a sense. It was very... Um, uh, it, it seemed kind of lonely just having men out there, to be honest, on the, the one day. So I, I like the interspersed men and women and uh, the the flair of it all. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's as if uh, I, I think the diversity, if we're going to talk about diversity and inclusion, that means putting everyone together, to yeah. be honest. Yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. I, it's funny, you know, I, I haven't heard it from that perspective and I agree with you. I one thing I did enjoy was the fact that, you know, Chelsea Sedaro got to be first down the line and there's something about being first to cross the line and I, I feel like the women haven't had their fair share of that. It's often, you know, mm-hmm. they're coming in, you know, 10th to 25th in the men's kind of thing and, and look, there's mm-hmm. a bit of fanfare and everybody announces it that it's the first woman. And But I, I kind of did like that aspect of it yes, and I don't know how you sure. do that on the same day. Maybe the women start you know, four or five hours earlier or something. So yes. I don't know. Um, but anyway, I, I think 
to your point earlier, we don't have the financials. We don't know no. the exact reasons why. Um, yes, we're a bit old school, so mm-hmm. probably going to lean towards wanting to keep Kona, having it, you know, having mm-hmm. men and women together. You and I are the same as that, but um, you know, I, I, I think having the men in Nice and having the women Kona is, mm. I really that. I'm not a huge fan, um, personally. No, I don't like separating it. So no. I think if I, you know, given the, the the logistics for Kona and the realization that we only had to have one day, I almost would rather have seen it, uh, the organization say, okay, we're going to just have one day and we promise we'll get back to two separate days another time when we have a, one venue that can... Yeah satisfy both and we're going to have to take it on the chin this year and do this and we're gonna have to get really creative but at the you know at the end of the day we we have what we have this is the way it's going to be and so we need to make it as perfect and wonderful as possible for the men Mm. in nice for the women in kona and at some stage we just have to accept it as this is the way that it is and uh in in and embrace it and, and make it perfect. So it's not perfect, but let's make it perfect uh, for the sake of the athletes. Yeah, I agree. Well said. Okay, so final three questions. I, I like these ones, but what, what would you tell your eighteen year old self? <laughs> I, I firstly, I have no regrets. I was happy with the decisions I've made, and mm-hmm. uh, so I'm not telling myself as an eighteen year old because I made uh, because I feel like I had this massive error, but. <laughs> I, I probably would advise people to, I, I was a people pleaser for sure. I, I, it, which isn't a bad thing. You know, my, I wanted my mom and dad to love me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to make them happy. And so I based a lot of my decisions about that. Uh, so maybe being a people pleaser, but also making sure that you search your heart, which isn't the easiest thing to do when you're 18. Uh, but but doing what you love, I guess that would be my biggest message. And I did do that. I wanted to be a teacher and there were no jobs in teaching and people said, you're crazy to be want to be a teacher. And I said, well, it's what I want to do. If I don't get a job, that's fine. And I became a teacher and I'm really happy that I did because I, I loved teaching. And a lot of people don't end up doing what they love. And when you don't do what you love, then you, all you have is a J-O-B and nobody wants a J-O-B. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> you really want to do what you love. So that would be my advice to my 18-year-old self. I like it. I like it. All right. Who would you want to have dinner with? Three people <laughs> you can choose. Non-family, living or dead. Who have you got? I've been playing this game with myself for ever since you started answering this question, asking this question. You ask it every single week and I've listened to it every single week. I'm thinking, who would I have? And I've been like, honestly, this is a year long preparation for you. And and I'm still not even decided yet. It's allowed to keep changing and evolving. (laughs) I would love to have dinner with President Obama. Mm Uh, with Jacinda Ardern, the prime minister, former prime minister of New Zealand. Mm. And, and then I thought Seinfeld, but I feel bad not having the prime minister of Canada, Justin Trudeau. So it would be a combo between the comedy relief of Seinfeld to that table or um, keeping it completely political and having our prime minister from Canada, Justin Trudeau. Wow. But I, I'd love to speak to all those people. I mean, Jacinda Ardern is certainly a role model for me, being a woman, yeah. being a leader and uh just a phenomenal human being, really. Yeah. So, yeah. All right. There's a big three. There's a political conversation. 
<laughs> Although they're all on the same side of the. Maybe you should stir it up and bring somebody on the other side. Maybe throw in Margaret Jim, Thatcher. Jim for, bring in should Margaret Thatcher. Bring in, bring in a very strong conservative oh. Brit from the 70s. Uh, Thatcher, there you go. There you go. Thatcher Thank against you. Jacinta and Obama to back it up. That'd be amazing. That would be incredible. <laughs> People would want to come to dinner. No, I tell you what, that is, that's a special one. I, I love that. <laughs> All right, <laughs> n- next one. Where, where do you see yourself in three years? Wow, three years. Twenty twenty. Oh well, um, starting soft. I'll say uh, probably with another puppy because <laughs> my <laughs> my dog will be seven, so oh. that's a good time to introduce another family member uh-huh. uh, into the fo- into the fold. Uh, I see myself probably doing much of the same. Hopefully healthy, and hopefully still in the sport. Uh, with the PTO, I hope as well, being able to have it continue to grow and hopefully I'm part of that growth. So I would love to be seeing that to fruition in three years from now. Uh, and speaking is is really my passion, getting to talk to corporations and companies and share the, share the things I've learned through racing, which are completely transferable to, to companies and to uh, their their growth and professional development of their staff. So I I love that and and really, uh, I've last couple of weeks I've had quite a few talks and every time I go and do one it feels like a race for me. It's all the same. Yeah. It's the same pre race jitters. Yeah. And yeah. then I finish the talk and I'm hot and I'm sweaty and I have to eat right away. Yeah. Like it's hysterical the similarities between and then I'm exhausted yeah. and it's like don't talk to me I'm exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it really is. Uh, it really pumps me up just like racing did and also brings the fulfillment as well. So oh, hopefully that's fantastic. I to continue that. On, on that, uh, how do people contact you if they want to book you for speaking? What's the best way? Uh, my website, lisabentley.com. Oh, perfect. Okay, yeah. I'll put that in the show notes, lisabentley.com, everybody. Um, let's finish with some rapid fires. You up for it? Absolutely. Have you got any fast twitch left? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> You got you got them all. I'll give them all to you right now. <laughs> all right, here we go. One book you'd recommend? Uh, four Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Mm, love it. Okay, two most used apps on your phone? Instagram. Mm. And like <laughs> most recently, Flight Radar, as I was checking on my flights, but that isn't, isn't uh, yeah, as much. Yeah, that's a good one though. Uh, probably Twitter. Twitter and, and Twitter. Instagram. Yeah, yeah. Okay, toughest race? Toughest race, Hawaii Ironman. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always been a tough one. Mm-hmm. Especially when you're in a pack of three with a 10K to go <laughs> yeah. and you don't want to do anymore. Uh, all right, first job you ever did? Uh, Tim Hortons, which is our coffee shop <laughs> in Canada. Tim Hortons, I served coffee and donuts. Donuts, that's <laughs> right. It's a donut shop, Tim Hortons. I love it. Okay, this is a, a fun one for you. Out of 10, how cool are you, Lisa? Five. Oh, please. <laughs> Oh my I just, goodness. I swing on every vine. I'm not, I'm not, I was standing at anything. I just want to get along with everybody. <laughs> Who did I just have? Luke McKenzie, I think said he was a nine. He's been, he's, <laughs> he's given me my best score so far. He was like, throw humility out. I'm, I'm going, I'm going bonkers on this. I'll give you a nine, nine and a half. I was like, good on you, buddy. I think you are very cool too. And I think you're all up in that area, by the way. I think you're super cool, Lisa. All right. Don't you dare downplay yourself. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm neutral. I'm neutral. I'm Switzerland. I'm five. <laughs> <laughs> Who would you want to play a movie of your life? Have you thought about this one? Oh, wow. A movie. Um, uh, Ashley, is Ashley Judd? Ashley Judd, I think. I've always thought she was pretty yeah, amazing. Yeah, that's a great one. She's, 
she's strong and she's yeah. like gritty and yeah, I like her. I love that. That's a great one. All right. You and I are of similar age, so this one will be interesting. Which decade of music is best? The 80s, yeah. for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I love actually, the 80s. I don't mind swinging into the 70s and having a little taste. Oh, yeah. But yeah. You know, for the eighties, honestly, I make I don't I drive my kids to the school in the morning, and Daddy, can we listen to Moana or Disney Disney music? And I said, No. <laughs> when Daddy drives the car to school, you listen to my music, <laughs> and on pop, you know, Talking Heads, The Cure, The Clash, yeah, everybody. Yeah. Anyway, favorite race. Favorite race. You've been around the world Gosh, so much. Is I, oh wow, I've been to a lot of races. Oh boy, I really love them all. I have to say, probably Ironman Australia. Mm-hmm. I, I love the whole environment, even though it was a twenty-four hour flight away. But and it was scary. And honestly, there were always tears, and I was always scared. But it's every time you're scared, you have to have courage, and that always makes it even better. So I forced myself out of the comfort zone. I'd always go and meet people. I talk to anybody. Like yeah. heaven help you if you're in the grocery store and I'm there and just got off the plane because chances are I'll be making you my best friend by the end of the uh, <laughs> grocery aisle. So yeah, Iron Man Australia made a lot of friends there yeah. and, uh, and and made a lot of memories. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. It is, a, it is a long trip. It is worth it. It is slow roads. Port Macquarie mm-hmm. and Foster or that chip seal, which is, uh, um, but it is a great place, a great location. All right. Where is somewhere you haven't been that you'd like to go? I have never been to Paris. And really? <laughs> Yeah, oh I've never goodness. been to France. So, yeah, I'd really like to go there. We were almost going there this year. Uh, we booked a, a flight <clears throat> to uh, Marrakesh and it stopped for 16 hours in Paris. And we were so happy that we would have 16 hours in Paris. But we ended up can't, having to cancel that trip. But, uh, yeah, just getting a, a, a sense of, of yeah. that part of the world. Yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting part of the world. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. All right, last one. Greatest movie of all time. Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump was a great ah, movie. I love it. Yeah, yeah. it. Uh, it's, I have to be. You know, sometimes I can't watch it, and I'll because I'll just feel a bit too emotional and sentimental. But it encapsulates so so much mm-hmm. uh, empathy. But it's historical, and he touches on so the narrative touches on so many elements uh, of life and it's Tom Hanks. There's nothing not to like about anything, any mm. role that Tom Hanks plays. Mm. So yeah, it's a, it's a legendary movie. Yeah. What a great way to finish up. I agree. It was a, it is a, probably a top five movie for me for sure. Um, very cool. Well, Lisa, this has been just so much fun to catch up, honestly. <laughs> um, and I really appreciate all your time sharing your journey. I'm hoping we get to see each other. Now, you were mentioning before we started recording that you, you might go down to um, Fort Lauderdale to watch some swimming. That's in a couple of weeks. So maybe we can um, meet up down there. That would be amazing. We yeah. can celebrate swimmers and, and get to catch up. But, yeah, it's been amazing to chat with you, Greg. You you were part of my journey when we were both athletes. Absolutely. And so it's pretty fun. And that's the, the beauty of our sport, really, isn't it? That, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a decade removed, we're all still – you know, we're just picking up where we left off and, and that's the way it is with our relationship. So yeah, to have any athletes, amateur athletes out there listening, the friendships that you're making today, they'll be around in a decade. You yeah. can always call on your sports friends. We're always here. I know. It really is a great community. And I was saying to you beforehand, it's been one of my favorite things this last four to five weeks to just have 
Belinda Granger, Chris McCormack, Luke McKenzie, yourself. Um, I've got Rebecca Keat coming up. It's just like going down memory lane for me. Mm-hmm. And it's like mm-hmm. to be able to just spend an hour, hour 10, just having a conversation with you all is uh, it's a real, it really is a privilege. Um, and so I, I don't take it for granted. So I, I do appreciate you taking time to come and chat with me. So I truly appreciate it. Thank you. My pleasure. All right. Everybody else, thank you for listening. Um, you can find all the show notes and timestamps and everything else at bennettendurance.com forward slash media. Thanks a lot for listening. If you've enjoyed the show, your support would truly be appreciated. You can visit the Patreon page or you can subscribe with your podcast app of choice. Don't miss the next episode, so subscribe and be notified. For show notes, if you want to know more, please visit bennettendurance.com. I'm Phil Liggett, and on behalf of Greg Bennett, here's to the next time, and I hope you will join Greg again very soon.